Thank you for listening to sermons by Chaplain Braswell. We hope that you are encouraged by these messages and that God will continue to bless you. And now, today's sermon. All right, well, good morning. If you have your Bibles, I hope that you do. I invite you to turn to the passage we've already heard a portion of. That is a John chapter 17. John chapter 17 is a titled uh, this message, The Lord's Prayer, The Prayer of Jesus. We're going to look at that prayer a little bit more uh, in just a minute. As I think about the fact that the disciples apparently heard this prayer and recorded it for us, and John, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wrote it down so that we could see it. I, I thought about my own life and how throughout church, I don't know about, I know a lot of you probably grew up in church like I did, and I, and I was one of those. And I would, I would think about a lot of things in church sometimes. Maybe not always the message. I know none of y'all ever do that. You're always enthralled with every message you ever hear from a preacher. But when I was a little boy, I wasn't that way. I would think about all these little strange things. For example, at the church where I grew up in, uh, as you looked at the, the, po- the, the, the pulpit, the back wall was paneling. The old paneling's very cheap. It was, a, it was very popular in the 70s. They've since then decided that was terrible, but back then. And you know how paneling has those little lines to make it look like it's uh, planks of wood, but it's really not planks of wood. And I, I used to tell you how many of those uh, lines were in the paneling, and I'd, I'd, I'd start on this side and I'd count. It's like 170 or something. I'd go to this way and I'd count. And I'd, I'd observe all these little strange things. I'd observe what the choir did and the little motions they made. And, and then I would, I would listen to people pray. And, and I started noticing as a little boy that many of the, of the men in the church had certain patterns to their prayer. This one man, for example, he was as country as, as could be when you spoke to him on a regular basis. But when he prayed, he would go into this Elizabethan King James English, and I used to think, oh, goodness, I'm never going to be able to pray because I don't know how to use all those these and thous. And, he would, and, I, and I, I would know what he's going to say before he would say it, and I could sort of, I could sort of mouth it. And then I, I started listening to my preachers, and they would have the same little things in their prayer, and I could, as a little boy I could, I could repeat those things because I'd hear them. And then all that came full circle as I was deployed to Iraq and I was the chapel pastor and my, my chaplain assistant, I started noticing at, my, at the beginning of my sermon, I had a little thing I would say. I wanted, I wanted my soldiers to, to pick up a Bible because I, I just had a conviction. I wanted them to, to have their own copy of God's Word while they were deployed. And I, apparently I said it just the same way every week because I started watching and he's just mouthing everything that I say. And then... Sure enough, as I, as I prayed my prayer at the end, he would, he would pick up on it. I'd say, I'd say hey, specialist, what are, you, what are you doing? Oh, I'm, I know what you're going to say, sir, so I'm just kind of mouthing it with you. So great, he's a great man, great man of God. And as I thought about all those things that I picked up on as a little boy, no doubt we all kind of pick up on those things. What an incredible privilege it is for us today, I think, to look at this prayer of Jesus, this, this prayer where we get to hear exactly what Jesus is saying. What's interesting is as you look at this chapter, some of the themes that show up in John 17, guess what? They're the same themes that show up throughout the Gospel of John. What that tells me is that people were listening to his prayer. What that tells me is that those things that were on our Lord's heart in this chapter permeate his teaching throughout the time he was here on earth. 
And as I've already alluded to, the prayer that we often refer to as the Lord's Prayer, which we most of us are able to recite, and we do it most of the time here in chapel, it, it, some would say it's better called the Disciples' Prayer or even the Model Prayer. It, it does teach us many, many things. But when Jesus gave us that prayer, remember he said, pray like this, and he gave it to us as an example to follow. But in this prayer, we get the heart, I believe, of Christ, and many things that he says in this prayer, I think, help us. Many have said it this way as you read through this chapter. Uh, one person said Jesus prays upward to the Father. Jesus prays outward to his disciples. And Jesus prays forward to the mission of the disciples. And we're going to look at, I think, five things about this prayer today. And in your, in your bulletin, I believe you'll find the outline. And there's some blanks there. If you want to take notes and fill in the blanks, you're, you're welcome to do that. And as uh, Brother Willie's already read uh, verses, I believe, 1 through 11, we'll go back and we'll look at those verses along with some, some of the other ones. So with that said, I want to share with you five things that I believe Jesus uh, prays, and I hope that they're a blessing to us as we, we step back and say, well, what can we learn from the prayer of Jesus? Number one, Jesus, he prays upward with eternity in mind. Jesus prays upward with eternity in mind. I want you to go back to John 17, and I want you to look at verse number 1. It says, when Jesus had spoken these words, he had just got finished teaching the disciples about him being the vine and branches and him telling them they need to love one another and many, many other things around the same context of the, the Last Supper, which we'll be doing communion today. As he comes to this portion... It says he lifts up his eyes to heaven in verse 1 and he says these words. He says, Father, talking to the heavenly Father. He says, the hour has come and he says, glorify your son so that the son may glorify you. Since you've given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all you have given him. Look at verse 3. He gives us a definition of what he considers eternal life. This idea of eternal life. This is eternal life. That they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. He makes it very clear that his definition of eternal life is a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. We've already heard this in the Gospel of John. If you think back to one of the most often memorized Bible verses in the Scripture. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. If you want to make a note, I encourage you to remember John chapter 14, verse 6. Another passage in John that's very highly memorized and quoted. Jesus said, I am what? The way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. This prayer that Jesus prays, he begins with his own relationship with the Heavenly Father. He wants the disciples, and I believe he, it's intentional that we have a recording of it. It's one of those times when Jesus is in prayer with the Father, but he does it for our benefit as well. He wants us to see that knowing God personally is the most important part of a, of a vibrant relationship with God. And verse 3 talks about this. He says that this is eternal life. Not that it leads to eternal life, but it is eternal life. I can't help but think of John chapter 10, verse 10, when Jesus said that the thief came to steal, 
to kill and destroy. But he said, I came that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Jesus begins his prayer with eternity in mind, not the temporal. You and I, if we boil our lives down many times, we will get bogged down in the temporal. Jesus, if anyone had a good, quote, excuse to get bogged down in the temporal at this moment in his life, it would have been Christ. Jesus, by this point, has already, the enemies of Christ have made it very well known to him by then. They've already tried to stone him. He knows of the plans to kill him. He's at that Last Supper, and he's already alluded to the fact that he knows some of the things that's coming up next. In other, in other Gospels, we see his prayer in the garden where he says, God, not my will, but yours be done. If it be possible, let this cup pass from me. This is moments before the action of the, cru of, the, of the events leading up to the crucifixion take place. Yet here we have our Lord in the middle of all this turmoil, keeping the big picture in mind. You and I, if we can learn anything to begin with here, if we could figure out that in our prayer life, keep the big picture in mind, keep eternity in mind. The temporal things we deal with are there, and they are difficult many times. But Jesus begins his prayer with eternity in mind, centered in a relationship with God. Number two, Jesus in this prayer, he, he, he not only prays upward to the Father, but he begins to pray what I call outward, and he does pray for protection. He prays protection specifically for his disciples. At this moment, he's praying for those who are in that room with him. We haven't read these verses yet, so let's take time to read uh, John chapter 17. Let's read verses 12 through 15. Here's what he says. He says, while I was with them, that is the disciples, while I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I've guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of perdition. He's talking about Judas, by the way, that the scripture might be fulfilled. Verse 13 but now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have joy, my joy, fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask, notice this, that you, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one." Jesus prays very specifically for protection in point number two. Protection that while his disciples remain in the world, that he's going to give them the Holy Spirit and he prays for their protection. He talks about these disciples being set apart. I can't help but think about any parent. Uh, many of you are like me or parents. And, and what is one of your main prayers for your children, whether they're very, very young and they go out and do something where you're not there, or, they, or, they, or they're grown up and they go out and make those decisions. One of our main prayers is right, protection. God, keep them safe. Protection. Many times in the military as a chaplain on different missions and things, one of the most comforting prayers soldiers want to hear, I'm sure sailors and Marines and Coast Guardsmen and all, all of our service members want to hear, is God, protect them, keep them safe. He asks very specifically for protection from enemies in verse 15. He talks about the idea that he says, notice this, he says he's given the disciples his word, 
We learned earlier in John that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus is the Word. But as Jesus gives them the Word, he says that the world is going to hate them for it. And then it's interesting to me that as he prays for protection, he says, I don't ask that you take them out of the world. And as I thought about that, I thought that would be a way to do it, right? If the world hates Christ's disciples, why don't Jesus just take them all out of the world? That is, as we say sometimes, that is a way, but that is not the way that God's plan was for these, for these men's lives. He prayed specifically, though, that as they are going to remain in the world, that God protect them as they live in a world that hates them. You and I live in a world where, you may find this hard to believe, everybody's not a Christian. <laughs> you already know that, don't you? Uh, you and I live in a world where there are wicked people who do wicked things. You and I live in a world where there are mean people who do mean things and do not care that they're mean and do not care that they're wicked. I wonder, I can't help but think as I look at this passage, God is teaching you and I something as well. Those times when it gets difficult, I think God cares about you and me. I know God loves us and I know God hears us when we call out to him in prayer. But some of you may find yourself in the very situation, or at least similar to the disciples, and that is that in the midst of being around evil, in the midst of being around injustice, in the midst of being around people and circumstances that are not godly, maybe this prayer is for us. I don't pray that you take them out of it, but I pray that you would keep them safe as they have to endure it. There's been many times in my life where I think, oh God, I don't want to deal with this. And I think God appreciates that honesty. I, he already knows I think it, I, I should pray it, and, and we see that in the Psalms as, as David laments over many of his problems, and oh, these enemies are out to get me. But may this prayer be a comfort to you and I, just to hope that it was to the disciples during that day. He says, they're not of the world. There's going to be times when people hate them. And I'm not praying that you take them out because that's not part of their mission at this time. But I am praying that you keep them safe. And he says, by the way, in verse 12, that not one of them was lost except Judas who made his choice. If you and I are in God's hands... Regardless of circumstances, what better place could we be? He prays for protection. But then number three, he also prays for obedience. Uh, Jesus is praying for you and I not only to know the word, but to, to be obedient to the word. I want to go back and look at something we've already read, but I want to look at verse number eight. He says this. He's praying to the Father. He says, I have given them, that is the disciples, I've given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you and they believe that you sent me. And then in verse 9, he says again, I am, I am praying for them. Later on in this passage, he makes this statement. He says, sanctify them in your truth. In verse 17, sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. 
Jesus is praying not only that his disciples know these things and believe these things, but that they act on them in obedience. It's interesting in verse 17 that he says, sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. That word there, sanctify, it means to to be set apart and, and and to be holy. But when the Bible talks about sanctification, he's talking about a growth process in you and in me. On the, on the one hand, we know the Bible teaches that whoever believes in Christ will not perish but have everlasting life. Some teachers of the Bible would call that justification. You and I come to a point where we realize we're sinners in need of a Savior. We place our faith in Jesus Christ. We don't have to clean our lives up or anything. You've heard the illustration about you don't, the fish don't clean themselves before they come. You just come and then God cleans you up kind of kind of thing. That's what the Bible teaches. You and I simply come to God and place our faith in Christ and he saves us. Amen. Amen. No works. However, as you and I become followers of Jesus Christ, Jesus prays very specifically, sanctify them in your truth. Yes, he wants us to know, but he also wants us to grow. He wants us to believe right, but he also wants us to, you could say, behave right. The sanctification is a process. Jesus is praying very specifically that you and I will become like him and his relationship with the Father. God is very much concerned with our holiness. God is very much concerned with us being conformed into the image of his Son. And one of the main prayers that Jesus prays in this passage is that you and I grow in our obedience. One person explained it this way. If you sort of had a, you've seen charts on on slides and those kind of things. There's some days I don't feel very Christ-like. Praise the Lord, I'm still a follower of Christ because Christ is holding on to me, whether I at the time feel like I'm holding on like I'm supposed to or not. He's holding on, I'm still his child. But as you look at that chart, hopefully and prayerfully over time, There's going to be some dips, there's going to be some ups, but hopefully the general trend is we're becoming more and more in the image of Jesus Christ. Jesus prays for our obedience. And then number four, Jesus, he prays for our unity. He prays for our unity. And and some would say he prays forward for our unity. Remember I said some people look at this passage and say he he prays upward and then outward and then forward. Well, I think as we look at the last part of this chapter, we're going to see Jesus praying forward. It's it's amazing to think about exactly how he words this. Let me go back to verse 11 first, and then we'll jump forward. I want to show this to you in John 17, 11. He says, I'm no longer in the world, but they're in the world. I'm coming to you. That is, he's leaving the world. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me. Now watch this, that they may be one, even as we are one. That's the first time he specifically prays for them to be one, this idea of unity. Now I want you to look at verse 20, which we've not read yet. He says this. He says, I do not ask for these only. Who is the these? He's saying, I'm not only asking for the disciples, that is, these men who are within earshot of me. He's letting them know something as well as he prays. I'm not only praying for them, but he says this in verse 20, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. 
How many of you have ever done this uh, Ancestry.com? You pay them some money, they can trace you all the way back, and, and, and that stuff's really, it got popular several years ago, and it's, it's kind of, you could trace it back. You and I, amazingly enough, can trace our spiritual heritage, I believe, all the way back to even this moment as Jesus prayed. Because as Jesus ascended back to heaven, and you know the rest of the story, this message of the gospel began to spread all over the world. In fact, in one place in the book of Acts, they described it as these are the men who turned the world upside down. It all started with his original followers. When Jesus is praying, not just for those disciples, if you want to look at it like an Ancestry.com, we can trace our spiritual heritage back to this point. It is no stretch to say that as Jesus said, I'm praying for those who will believe through them. It is no stretch to say that Jesus was praying for you and he was praying for me in this moment on this page. Jesus is praying for unity. He says he's praying that they'll have the same unity that he has with the Father. Four times he prays specifically that they may be one. Let's continue to read what he says, verse 21 that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. He wants us to be one, because that way when the world sees it, then they'll believe. Verse 22, the glory you have given me, I have given to them. Here it is again, that they may be one, even as we are one. Verse 23, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that, here's the world again, the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. This idea of unity has to do with love. Right after he says the word one about five or six times, in the rest of the chapter, he goes back to, he ties the unity in with love. I believe it is because of this. When you think about what love is, love is unconditional. True, godly love is unconditional. If I truly love you, it is not conditioned on how you treat me. If you love me, it's not conditioned on what I do for you. That's what Jesus is praying for, the kind of unity and love that is unconditional. This intimate knowledge that he says they're to have this unity and this love. Charles Spurgeon said it this way. I'll share it with you. In this idea of knowledge and love, he says, We must know in order to believe. We must know in order to hope. And we must know in order to love. And knowing God, we know love, for God is love. And knowing Jesus, we know love because Jesus is the manifestation of God's love. Look at verse 24. He says, I desire that they also whom you've given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you've given me because you love me before the foundation of the world. This love ties in with the unity and the idea of oneness because of the very unconditional nature of God's love. We live in a society, and we live many times, if we're not careful, we will be very conditional in our unity. Oh, you don't believe exactly like I do, therefore you are my enemy, and I can't have unity with you. 
oh, you didn't do this for me, so therefore I, I can't have unity with you. No, no, no. Jesus is praying that this unity ties together with the, with the love. As I was studying, I ran across uh, something that D.A. Carson, a uh, theologian, he shared, and he talked about, uh, he's much older than me, but he talks about in his day, there was a song, what the world needs now is love, sweet love. Everybody's nodding their head, or, or many of us are nodding their heads. Some are going, what are you talking about? But he, 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 he has some thoughts about that, and I'll share them with you. He says, apart from telling the Almighty about what love is, which is probably not a good idea since God is love. Uh, he he kind of picks on the song a little bit. He says, contrast that sentimentality, which I think, although the song is dated, I think is still, still out there. Uh, he, sa uh, he says, um, what the world needs now is love. It's the only thing. There's just too little love, I think is how the song goes. He says, compare that with Jesus' robust commandment to do what? To love the Lord our God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. The second, with love our neighbor as ourselves. He says this. He says, the song has just enough fuzzy sentiment that we can feel good about ourselves, but not enough truth to reflect much on what God says about love or how he has loved supremely and shown us what love looks like. You and I have to understand that as Jesus prays for this unity... He is praying for, for not just a sentiment, but an unconditional, unwavering love. One said it this way, God becomes believable as you and I become lovable. As, as the world, and that's what he's praying. He says it twice. He says, I'm praying that you will have, be one so that the world will know me. As you and I have this unconditional love for one another, for God first, but then for one another, what will begin to happen is that God will become very believable to people around us as we become very lovable in that true, unconditional love. What a prayer we looked at today. I encourage you to take some time and, and read it on your own and, and, and soak it in. But in just a moment, we're going to take the Lord's Supper. And I want you to think about this prayer in that light, that as Jesus prayed this prayer, he had just done this with his disciples, preparing them to ponder, to remember, and us to experience together as we take this bread and cup, the ultimate sacrifice of love. As you and I this week think about this prayer, may it lead us to pray along the same lines. It may it lead us to be a part of those who God is calling to serve and to love. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, may, as we leave this place in just a moment after we take communion, may we be a part of the fulfillment of this prayer that you prayed to the Heavenly Father those years ago. May we be those who are loving, those who are serving, those who know the truth and hold to the truth in such a way that we're not swayed by the world around us. We're protected from the world around us. But God, may we show your love in this mission of bringing the world to you. We thank you that we're a part of that. I pray this week for, for us as we serve and go the places you lead us, I pray that we too would be people of prayer as you taught us to pray, as you sincerely prayed this prayer. May it be our heart cry as well. 
In Christ's name we pray. Amen.